the Talent Experience Podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work. Empowering you to better understand and deliver a best-in-class, future-proofed career experience. For more insightful conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to an episode of the Talent Experience. I'm your host, Rhonda Taylor. And today we have, I have a great friend of mine, uh, Tim Sackett. We go back, gee, Tim, I'm not going to say how far. <laughs> we There was a time when we were at all the trade shows and I always thought I was really connected, but I think everybody knows who Tim Sackett is. He's global and <laughs> Good nature. or bad, right? Good or bad. Yeah. I hear you're doing some work in Asia this spring. First time, like I've, it's been on a bucket list, uh, the pandemic hit. So I, you know, it was hard to get out over there. And so they, uh, they called me and said, Hey, come on over. So I'm going to get to go to Singapore for the first time. So I'm like, super excited about that. Um, HR tech Asia. Um, and then, I, I mean, I've been kind of going all over, so it'll be, it'll be a good year of 2023. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, for you, for those who don't know Tim, he is just not, an influencer slash analyst, but he's also an entrepreneur in in the HR space. And gosh, Tim, I, I I don't know how do you find the time. Um, you know, I think I I think I work efficiently is probably the better. And then I have like I surround myself with people who are super capable, um, and amazingly productive. And I don't I refuse to let them leave me. Like I will just continue to pay them more so nobody else will pay them what I pay them. Um, and I think that's the key is like you find great people, you overpay them, and then let just let them be great. Get the hell out of their way. And let them and let them grow. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean anything I can do, like, but like, you know, that's the key to happiness is just surround yourself with great people. Yeah. And I think that th this sort of leads nicely into the topic that you're focusing on this spring. And that's the future of the human side of the employee. Can you outline that a bit for me? Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was literally, um, I was at, you know, we saw each other out at HR tech, like we, like we, and we have for years and years. And every time it's always like, what's the future of HR tech and what's the future of work and what's the future of all, and they, we keep coming up with new names for it. And I, at one point, I just was like, well, what about the human? What about the actual person doing the work? <laughs> what's what's the future hold for them? And my, the concept was like for most of like all of human history, humans did the labor, right? They were the labor work. Like we actually had to put the the bolt on the nut and weld the thing and dig the, the trench and do all that stuff. And then probably from about the mid 90s to current, we, we opened up this creator economy, which was all of a sudden, we didn't necessarily have to do as much labor. as So they had all these jobs now that were, hey, just create stuff, right? Um, it started with like an animation and design. And then, you know, now you have, you know, influencers like YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and everybody's creating and creating content. And, and so we think, okay, well, that's the future of employee was like creating. But then all of a sudden, like the AI explosion and the artificial intelligence has gotten to a, a position where we see the end of the creator economy very clearly. Because like when I test um, chat, you know, GPT, which is kind of the next evolution um, of, of AI, 
And I did a, a blog the other day where I said like, hey, um, I need a recruiting strategy plan that has these three as the top sources and has this and has this. And I just threw it to the AI and within literally five seconds, it gives me a thousand words of a very detailed recruiting strategy plan for a certain position. And I was just like, and it, not that it was exactly what I would have done, but it had like 10 steps. And I'm like, man, seven out of those 10 are right on. And so I'm like, if I no longer have to create that as a TA leader and, and AI can do it that fast. But then I was thinking, well, what part of that did I have? And that's where we think the future of employee is, which is as the narrator of the world they want, right? So if you think of, you went from laborer to creator to now narrator, we're going to spend a lot of time telling AI what we want. Think of your own software you know, that you guys work with. Every time a client comes and says, oh, can we add this? Or can we change this? Or can we do this? And you're like, oh, for sure, we can do that. We're software engineers. That's a customization. It's going to cost you this much money and it's going to take us this much time. Where we think with AI, I mean, again, not today, but in the near future, that person that's using your software would go, hey, I need this changed. Um, and AI would do it within seconds. And then, but also it would say, hey, by the way, if you change this, there's some downstream impacts of some other things that are going to happen, right? And then you're like, oh, I don't want that to happen. Okay. And then you're going to go back and narrate again. Okay. I want this, but I don't want this to happen. I want this to go here. And we'll get better and better at narrating the AI to create what we want to have happen, right? So we're now we're, we're actually narrating the world that we want, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to be an expert. In fact, you still have to be an expert of your function. You still have to be an expert user of the software that you're using. You just don't rely on a lot of other people, though, to have to actually do some of the things or the creating some of the customizations and stuff that we do. Again, that's just one example. I mean, you can put that into almost any aspect of your life where you're having to narrate. The other piece of this is I think we'll spend a lot more time in our own personal lives in VR world, augmented um, world, where we're actually narrating the world that we want to be in as well, right? I can put goggles on at night and say, I want to watch TV, but instead of watching TV in, you know, the middle of Canada frozen on a snowbank, I want to do it on an island with uh, hearing the waves and, you know, smelling the sea air and, you know, everything that's involved of, you know, having a great evening sitting by the ocean. Um, we're going to narrate a lot of things that we want in life versus creating them ourselves. AI will create them for us. So are you saying that the future, to be successful in the future workforce, your communication skills are, are going to be have to be excellent? I, I think so. Yeah. Now, it, I mean, someone would say, well, if I'm just narrating to AI, how excellent do I have to be? And I'm like, well, you're definitely going to be narrating at a very specific level or at least have to having to re, re like re like go back through and like try a lot of different things. Right. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, but I also think like, as you get with a group of people who are saying, Oh, well, this is what we want to see happen. Being able to communicate that very specifically and come to a consensus and understand like, this is what we're going to, what we're going to narrate, I think becomes very important. Yeah. <clears throat> over and over you, you hear, and like Tim, when you were you and I were young, those were soft skills, leadership, <laughs> communication, and and now they are they're going to be the dominant necessity of the future. You know, LinkedIn has shown this for a couple of years. 
years. I went to LinkedIn Talent Connect, um, not this past year. Uh, well, I saw it online, but then over the last really three or four years, they've shown that the number one skill that employers want are soft skills, right? By a large margin. And so I still think that's one of the things. And when you go, you think about traditional post-secondary education, um, you think about university education, even all the micro-credentialing that we're doing, the micro-learning that we're doing, it tends to, to not focus on soft skills. It's always on these hard skills. And then we're getting into this whole skills economy. And again, we go back to how do we increase the soft skills of an individual you know, to be able to communicate really, really effectively? Well, you, you actually see the marriage of, of you know, the, the education that comes to the STEM program for women and the leadership and communication. Uh, it's a marriage of, uh, in, in the future. And, and, and this leads to the next question. The world's changing big time, especially since COVID. What are we going to see for the future of employee? Like, what is their life going to be like? What is the requirement for their jobs? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the the biggest like immediate impact we see is this kind of remote versus in office. And if you think before COVID, it was 6%, 7% of the world's workforce was remote. Currently, the most recent like um, stats that I saw like this last week was 13% are fully remote. And I think most people would predict that was a lot higher. Um, but what we see was... Free, like 2019, there was no cohort of workers that was labeled as hybrid. And now we have like 34% of the workforce is in hybrid, which I always say, how else hybrid is, is like treating your employees like adults, right? Like letting them make the decision. When do I need to be in the office? When can I work it from anywhere? Um, you know, let's just treat people like adults and understand they, they can they can make that choice themselves. We don't have to say, hey, you need to sit at this, at this cube for you know forty plus hours a week, and that's going to make you more effective. I think the other piece of that is um, we've always been really bad at managing performance of humans, and I think if we're going to allow this flexibility, we're going to allow hybrid, more remote. We have to get really, really good at being able to understand um, what productivity really is by position, and then how do we manage that? Because I could care less if some if somebody. If I said, hey, if you get to 10, whatever 10 is, you're the most productive person in our organization. And they go, okay, well, I want to sit at a Starbucks all day and I can get to 11. Amazing. You never leave Starbucks. Please stay there all the time, right? Like whatever you're going to be most productive. The problem we run into is most companies, and we're seeing this right now, Salesforce came out today and said, hey, we're, we're our, pro our productivity has fallen off the charts. Everybody get your butts back to work. We're, you know, And they're blaming remote work. Well, I'm like, you can't really blame remote work. They're just correlating our productivities down. Thus, we have a higher, you know, a number of people that are working remotely. It has to be remote. I think there's people that probably work remote that are highly effective. I think there's probably people that work remote that are highly ineffective. And we have to be able to balance those and say, hey, if you can't be effective in whatever environment you're in, let us help you find the environment that's going to make you most effective and make you most productive. I think that's where organizations have, are changing because the ones that get to that point first are the ones people will come to work for. Because I, ha I have people on my own team, when we sent them remote, they literally went off the charts. They were amazing. Like they were, I mean, they got levels of productivity that we never saw when they were in the office. But I also had this, the opposite happen. I had people that failed and I was like, look, I'm either I'm going to fire you or you need to come back in the office because something's not work and, or working right. 
and I had one actually admit is like, I just, I can't focus when I'm at home. I got, you know, I got the dog, I got the TV and like things outside. Like I just can't focus. And then when we got them into an environment where they could focus, they got back to their normal productivity. And I think that, I think that's where we fail is that we think everybody's the same and they're not. I think we have to help them find that environment. And then you're going to have to have some really hard kind of heart to heart. Cause I think I've talked to people that were like, no, no, no. I only want remote. And you're like, you suck at remote. <laughs> you know, it might feel great for you to be remote, but you are not productive. And so either you need to find a company that is will actually reward you for being lazy, or you need to actually, you know, find an environment that you can be productive, you know. Right. And and you know, and we're when we're talking about the future, I I have to ask you about HR skills. You know, <laughs> we you know that that there's just so that's it's so dynamic and it's so changing. What are you seeing happening out in the space? I mean, everybody's talking about skills and the skills economy and how we get there. And I think even when we take a big at, look at all of the HR technology providers out there, it seems like everybody has a skills offering right now. And then when I was just this last week, um, I'm on the Josh Burson Academy and we have a think tank of all these great kind of HRTA leaders that come in from enterprise organizations. And we ask, like, let's talk about skills. And like, yep, we're all talking about skills. And then they were all like, and it's, it's really, really freaking difficult. And no one knows how to do it. And there's no roadmap. And I think the one failure for a lot of large HR technology companies is they, they believe, like, I, I think the actual technology is farther ahead of, than the process and, and of, of, you know, of the HR leadership side. The technology says, hey, we, we built this really great tech around skills. And we probably actually have some of the process already done and baked in for you. But they they're but then they're going back to the buyer or to the the user and going, well, what do you guys want to do? How do you want to do this? Versus kind of like leading them down that path because I think there's mass confusion out there of how to get it done. It's so complex um, on how you gather and how you update and how you maintain and you know and again then like what do you do once you have it and you know um, and I think there's a couple of companies out there that are really doing a lot of hard work and been you know in doing the work. But I still think there's so many out there that are just massively confused by it. Oh yes, and and there's there's many out there who say, "Oh, we can do this," but th th their interpretation of what this really is is not practical. Yeah, um, one of the one of the great examples I heard last week was um, one of the employers. They're they're just starting with one position. They're like, "Hey." We, we hire tens of thousands a year, right? But there's one position that we know we hire 500 of every single year. And so we're going to start with this one position and try to prove this out, right? Because we know this is an ongoing challenge for us. And we know that we could probably move so many people in our company into this position if we would give them the right skills. And so the, that was, to me, one of the better ways to say, hey, you don't, this, this, this whole skills thing screams to me of traditional bad HR programs where HR goes and spends five years and millions of dollars building this entire giant thing. And then they're like, hey, January 1st, 2025, we're, we're changing and we're going to jam this thing on the entire organization and it immediately fails and everybody gets fired because that's not how stuff works anymore, right? We need to take more of a software approach of saying, hey, 
let's try this with one job. Let's try this with one set of like people. Let's try to prove this out. And then we'll move from there and we'll add and we'll add and we'll add. And too many of the companies I think are trying to do it. They're trying to eat the elephant in one bite, Randa, instead of taking like, you know, one piece at a time. Oh, you're so right, Tim. And, 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 and that you want to, you throw, throw a company into chaos, throw talent, you know, throw talent mobility and upgrading their skills on top of that. Yeah. And literally chaos erupts unless they are strategic. Yep. I think that's the one win right now of skills is internal mobility. I think when it got launched, everybody kind of said, is this, is this what people want? And I think the employees have come out and resoundedly said, heck yes. Like this is awesome. We love internal mobility. And so I think that gives us a lot of energy around, Hey, look, we need to figure the rest of this out. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of employees too now are saying like, I love to upgrade my skills and the way that people upgrade now, it, it, it differs. It differs from yeah. one person to another. It could be a mentoring program. It could be, you know, a, a, a having a, a coach. It could be, you know, an LMS, um, you know, just, and it's just I, I think that that is the one difficult piece too, right? Is because I think this, the, how we get the skills is, is really evolving. It's the validation. Like if someone says like, Hey, I did this and I had a great mentor and then somebody else says, Oh, and I went to Harvard and did that same thing we're still going to view the Harvard one as better. Yet the person that had a private mentor, maybe had the mentor was the best in the world at whatever skill that is and gave them some insight and learning that they could get nowhere else. But we have no way to validate those two skills, right? Very well. Yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, I witness um, that, that there's levels of accreditation that people recognize for for skills. And, Mm -hmm. and again, communication, it has to be drawn out very specific as to what one is, two is, three out of four, you know, four being excellent. Yeah, no doubt. What do you think that 2023 is going to bring to the HR community? Um, I mean, I, I definitely think we're going to see like a lot of um, kind of acquisition around like different technology stuff. We have like, ugh, you know, the, the buyer is so confused right now in HR technology landscape. And I think it's because there's been so many products launched over the last decade. I think we're going to start to see a consolidation of a lot of that. I also think like we're going to see more and more AI being used in how we hire, which causes, I mean, there's going to be a lot of regulation. I think that's going to be, that's going to have to be drafted around that because I think people fear um, AI selecting talent. Um, and you're thinking, well, they might not select talent. It's just going to be able to give us a lot more insight to you know the selection possibilities we have in a, in a lot faster way. Um, we already see this with, I mean, people using conversational AI to make sure, let's say you have 250 people apply to a job. Prior, a recruiter might be able to cherry pick the top 10 or 15 that they would even look at of probably only the first 30 that of applies. Conversationally, I can get through all 250 and then you know go back to the recruiter and say, hey, here's the top 10 that you should be looking at, right? Um, and so I think every it almost to me becomes a little bit more fair and equitable when everybody gets a chance versus just a human basically cherry picking resumes off the top of the stack. Yeah. Two years ago, you you said just at the, at, sort of like when COVID was launching that companies were saying were evaluating their workforce and the people who were still employed but not per- performing or underperforming 
uh, they they were given their pink slips. Yeah. Just because so much transition occurred in the workforce. We're now seeing some, you know, cuts in the technology space. Um, And like, it's kind of surprising because, you know, you're looking at LinkedIn, you're looking at Facebook, Meta, Twitter. Um, Yeah. Do you think this is going to be the norm or or was that just a flash in the frying pan? No, I think, I mean, now that money is no longer free in the U.S. markets, I think we're getting back to like like really solid business fundamentals. You no longer can just lose a billion dollars and investors are going to be like, oh, well, here's more. (laughs) Here's more money to lose. I think that's when we see in the technology space is people had unlimited amount of money. They spent it like drunken sailors. They acted like they were going to double their workforce every single year for forever. Like it was never going to stop. <laughs> and I think someone said, oh, no, it's going to stop. And it's going to stop right now. And now you have to show us, can you actually make money um, and be profitable? And I think that's the difference. I think we're getting back to some traditional fundamentals when you know people have to make a decision. Do I go to the startup and potentially make this great money if they go IPO or for the evaluation? Well, that was great when money was free, but now when you have credit markets at six, seven, eight percent, all of a sudden now you can throw your money in a lot of other places and make really good money. You don't have to throw it in technology companies. And I think that's where tech companies, and you saw this with Twitter, where they said, hey, we're going to lay off 80% of our staff and everybody like, oh my gosh, Twitter's going to shut down. That site will fall down. I use Twitter every day and nothing's changed. Twitter's still up. Twitter's still running. And they're running without 80% of the staff. (laughs) And you brought up a good point. I really believe that the HR community is still going to stay loyal to Twitter. Do you? Um, yeah. I mean, again, I think it's whether you're a fan of Elon or not, it doesn't really matter. It still is a public kind of place where people can go and say whatever they want to say, right? Whether you're conservative or, or, or liberal or whatever, people can just go there and say it. And if that's what you're into, then it's going to work out really well. I just it's going to be hard for somebody else to break into that marketplace because it's it's such a widely used kind of system. Right, right. And and for for those of you listening, um, Twitter, although it seems to be a unique social media, um, is really uh, bought in to by the HR community, eh, Tim? Oh yeah, no. There's huge, yeah, huge following. I mean, I I think a lot of people get their news, but a lot of sharing goes on there, right? That and that happens really fast, especially around you know different regulations or different ideas. Like that is something that you can put out there and immediately have hundreds of people all over the world kind of you know sharing. So yeah, okay, Tim, I always enjoy talking with you, and you're all you've always you're always on the cutting edge of things coming down the (laughs) pipeline. So I wish you all the best um, in 23. And thank you for joining us on the Talent Experience. Thanks for having me, Rhonda. Okay, This is Rhonda Taylor. Again, thank you for joining us on the Talent Experience. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Talent Experience podcast. For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at TalentX Podcast. Or join the conversation with hashtag Talent Experience Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. The Talent Experience Podcast was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel 50.